KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So on Monday, some oil futures started trading negative. You probably saw this. It's the latest in a series of incredible ripple effects of the COVID-19 pandemic as nobody's going anywhere, so demand for oil has plummeted worldwide. This had us asking a lot of questions like, what does oil trading negative mean? How badly will all this hurt the oil industry? And could this be a time maybe where other forms of energy development gain more of a foothold? For answers to these questions and more questions, up with Scott Jackson. He's a visiting professor at Villanova in the Chemical and Biological Engineering Department. He actually teaches a course in petroleum engineering, has a PhD in chemical engineering, spent years working for DuPont. Really interesting conversation on energy. Check it out. So let's start at the beginning. Obviously, a lot of heads were turned yesterday. A key American oil futures contract, I think it was the West Texas Intermediate was trading negative, trading way negative. Uh, For people that are just kind of hearing this and don't quite understand, what does that mean when oil is trading negative? Like, literally, what does that mean? Literally, it means that the people that are owning or trying to sell the oil are willing to give you money to take that oil off their hands. Now, it's an aberration, okay? It does represent something very fundamental about the market and that there's this big disconnect between supply and demand. There's basically 30% oversupply right now compared to demand, and that's basically all due to uh, lack of demand uh, from coronavirus. We're all sitting at home. We're not using our automobiles. Uh, industries are shut down. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real game changer. Hopefully that's not going to sustain itself. Economic activity is, in fact, measured in many ways by energy uh, consumption. Okay. So, in a, I mean, obviously the coronavirus shut down. Are there any other factors? I just remember like a month oh. ago you heard about oh, yeah. Russia so, and Saudi Arabia oh, yeah, going yeah. at so, How so, much does yeah. that play into it as well? <laughs> it's some, it, it is another factor, no question whatsoever. So, so before everybody understood what, how bad this, this coronavirus is going to be, Saudi Arabia and Russia – uh, basically had a falling out. And, and so there's, there's OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. And, and there was sort of a tacit agreement between OPEC and Russia, which is not an OPEC uh, um, country, that they would, I'll call it collude, and that it's perfectly legal to collude in the way they're doing it, right, to try to manipulate production quotas so that they can sustain the price of oil at a relatively high level where everybody can make money, okay? Well, there was a falling out. Basically, Saudi Arabia was, was basically taking a lot of the hits. So in order to maintain, prop up the price of oil uh, to around 60 maybe $70 a barrel, Saudi Arabia had to keep on backing off on their production uh, because nobody else in OPEC uh, was willing to do that. Basically, they, they, they had some agreements, but they weren't really agreeing to it. They weren't really doing what they agreed to. Right. So Saudi Arabia said, to heck with this. We're going to go ahead, produce as much as they can and, and jack it up by, by maybe 20 percent, 30 percent and flood the market. 
okay, they knew that the price of oil was going to drop, but they, it was going to also force the other producers to come back to the table and to agree to, pri- to, to production reductions, to, to reduce production, okay? Well, and, and the biggest uh, players here was Saudi Arabia and Russia, and, and they didn't see eye to eye, and, and it looked like they were going to have this price war, okay? And um, about last week, finally, there was a, some agreement. Somehow, somebody made some sense between the two, and also other countries got involved, including, believe it or not, Mexico, not another non-OPEC country, okay? And, and because everybody realized this is much bigger than this disagreement between Saudi Arabia and Russia, all of a sudden, the drop demand had fallen out because of the coronavirus. And so now you have this disagreement about uh, trying to cut production and the lack of, uh, of demand. And it just, it just was going crazy, right? So, so the agreement last week was, oh, we'll cut out 10% production, worldwide production. So that's, that's roughly about 10 million barrels a day, okay? Not good enough because the bottom line is that there's about 30 million barrels per day loss demand, okay? So there's still another 20 million barrels per day of extra production that's going on. And oh, by the way, this agreement to cut back 10 million barrels per day doesn't start till May 1st. So you have a couple more weeks. You can gush out as much oil as you can, and that's exactly what Saudi Arabia is doing. They are pushing as much oil out before the start of this agreement uh, to cut back, okay? And so oil is just, it's just, the world is awash with oil and there's no demand for it, right? So oil is is a commodity that is traded across the world, okay? So it's not a local market, it is a overall market. United States has been in a interesting and enviable position in some ways that we have now become a next a, a, a net exporter of oil, okay? And it's scaring the, the bejeebas out of the, the Saudi Arabians, okay? And, and a lot of other producing countries. Because we, this year and last year, well, probably not this year. We'll see what happens. Uh, last year, certainly, we were the number one producer of oil in the world and the number one producer of natural gas in the world, okay? Natural gas is more of a local market because you can basically only – consume it where you produce it in some sense. You have to have a pipelines, but uh, there is some integrations through the world by using liquid natural gas. That is, you liquefy the natural gas and ship it by, by tanker. Uh, but that's, there's not that much of it. So consequently, natural gas is sort of, we don't have to talk about that in, in this equation. Although natural gas prices, by the way, are at near record lows right now. Unbelievable. Like $1.70 per um, million BTUs. Oil is a global market. So whatever happens with Saudi Arabia and Russia is going to affect what happens here in the United States. And sure enough, price of oil drops. It's not only just West Texas Intermediate, but it's Brent and and all the other, you know, Hallmark or uh, crudes that are out there have dropped dramatically. Okay. And nobody in the United States, mostly, oh, by, by the way, let's jump back. Most of the oil that's produced by the United States right now is because of shale oil, right? Just incredible technology they developed 
nobody would ever have thought a few years ago, 10 years ago, that we would be able to produce as much oil as we have been out of shale. Problem is, it's not cheap, okay? It's expensive to drill wells. It's expensive to frack the wells. It's, by the way, very politically and uh, environmentally issues potentially there. Certainly, it's a political hotball. But the bottom line is producing a lot of oil and, and, by the way, a lot of natural gas. So everybody in the oil patch, particularly the Permian Basin down in in, uh, West Texas, was relying on sort of the oil being up around $60 a barrel. They could make money. They can pay off their investments. All right. People are happy about that. But even then, it's not clear they were making enough money. Now the price has dropped to $20, even less. The negative number, don't. It, that's, a, that's an aberration. It's, it, nobody's going to uh, pay money to, uh, to take oil off your hands. But the bottom line is at $20 a barrel, nobody in uh, producing oil from shale will be able to make money. Nobody. All right? and, and so a lot of producers are going to go out of business. There's estimates that 250,000 people are going to get laid off out of that oil industry. Certainly any fracking operation, which is done by a number of oil service companies, uh, are, are stopping. There, there, there's no fracking going on. There's no new wells being drilled. It, it's an interesting time, to say the least. How long it sustains itself is, is, is a, an important question. There's a lot of things that have occurred to try to mitigate this, this drop in, in demand. One of them has been to open up a oil reserve. So we, the United States, because of the oil crises in the 1970s, actually established a strategic oil reserve. That has an incredible amount of oil in it. So right now, it's, I think it holds about two to three months of oil so that if somebody were to cut off supplies to us, remember back in the 70s, we... We're very reliant on everybody else in the world to supply us oil. And the two oil shocks in the 70s taught us a very important lesson that, you know, we are sort of in a very difficult situation here. And so consequently, oil reserve, oil reserve was, uh, was established. That was filled up mostly by Mexican oil, believe it or not. And, uh, and there still is some capacity to, to actually add more oil to that. So I understand that I think it's about 70 five million barrels of oil uh, are going to be bought in the open market, presumably from uh, shale oil from West Texas. That, that makes, that would make complete sense and actually put into the strategic oil reserve. So just to let you know, the strategic oil oil reserve actually physically is located in the Gulf coast. uh, So it's very close to the West Texas producing areas. So it's, they can just pipeline it over. The problem is they can't actually add, very quickly to it because there's a limitation in the way they uh, they developed it. It's like uh, like 500,000 barrels a day that they can add to that reserve. So it's going to take a while to, to actually buy that 75 million uh, barrels of oil and get that off the market. Let's talk ramifications of this that can they even yeah. be you mentioned all the layoffs that are probably going to happen, 250000 In the short term, what are some other things that are going to happen as a result of these oil prices cratering? From a consumer standpoint, price of uh, gas, gasoline you put in your cars will drop some more. You know, on average, it'll probably be right around in, in the Wilmington area, it's around a dollar eighty something. Uh, it'll probably drop to a dollar fifty, dollar forty. And you're saying, well, can it drop some more? It probably can. 
Um, but the fact of the matter is refiners, the, that is oil has to be refined into gasoline. That, that costs money. It's going to, and, and so consequently it's going to be what it is, right? <laughs> there is places in the United States, uh, Virginia, particularly, I know, uh, in the Shenandoah uh, River Valley that, um, before this, this dramatic drop, when it was around, around $30 a barrel, you could get gasoline for less than a dollar a gallon. So there are some, there's spot locations in the U.S. where you can buy gasoline for less than a dollar a gallon. It probably won't happen here in the Wilmington area, but still a dollar fifty a gallon. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's dirt cheap. Um, certainly that will ease the pain, a lot of people's pocketbooks, but it is an indication of something much more, I'll say perverse about the economy and that, that there's so much loss and demand that, that it has precipitated this uh, price drop. Long-term is a big question. How quickly the economy can recover will be uh, the price, the, the price of oil will also track with that to a certain extent. So if for some odd reason, somehow we were able to just switch, flip a switch and the economy came back to what it was two months ago, two and a half months ago, whatever, then all of a sudden demand would surge immediately and, and the price of oil would go back up and everybody would be very happy. Everybody on the side of the oil producers. But I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to be a much slower kind of thing. There's, there's actually a very nice for, for the audience, if people are interested in, it's called the U.S. Energy Information Administration. And it's a, it's a, a great set of websites that are out there. And you can find their predictions. For example, they have a short-term energy outlook right now. And it shows only a, a, a very much of a dip in world production and uh, in world consumption because the coronavirus actually comes back up to what it would have been uh, in the third quarter of this year. Uh, and that's this is a very reliable source, very optimistic, I can tell you that. Uh, I believe that that's not going to happen. So if there is an uptick like what they show in the this um, U.S. Energy uh, Information Administration, uh, it's called an EIA, then then, yeah, the price of oil will come back up pretty quickly. OK, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to take a long haul, probably on the order of a year for it to slowly crawl back up as demand uh, increases and, and, and finally meets the oversupply. Meanwhile, a lot of interesting things are going to happen. So you think, well, why do people need to pump oil out of the, out of the ground? Why, why don't they just stop that? And that, that'd be okay. All these people that have drilled and fracked these multi-stage wells, they're very expensive wells, need to produce oil to, to generate income in order to um, offset their costs and, and their capital investment in the well. The fact of the matter is, if they just stop production, and, and they can, they're, they're, there's a basically an electrical submersible pump at the bottom of these wells that are basically pumping the oil out of there. Um, they can just shut off that pump, let it sit. That's fine. The oil just stays in, in the ground. The, the real issue, though, is that when that happens, the oil will sit in contact with the rock, and it's at a lower pressure now because you've produced some of the oil already. And that causes things that oil producers don't like to hear about. And that's basically what's called formation damage. So what happens is that the oil has components in it, something called asphaltines, and that's where we get asphalt for our roads, and uh, paraffins, which is basically candle. Think of wax candles, right? That stuff can precipitate out of the oil, 
and actually glom onto the rock and sort of plug up the pore spaces. The empty volume that's in the rock can get plugged up. And you'll ultimately have what's called reservoir damage. They won't be able to produce the oil out of that, that rock as well or as efficiently as they did if they had kept on producing oil. Because by producing oil, you're not allowing this precipitation of these solids to block up the pore spaces. I, I'm certain that there's, there's a lot of producers looking at this situation, trying to figure out when do we actually shut in the well because we know we're going to damage the well. There, there are other wells that are in a different situation where they probably can shut them in and they'll probably start doing that. But brand new wells that have, have been online for less than a year, they're probably sitting there thinking, ah, I probably don't want to shut it in because I can cause formation damage if I, I let this stuff uh, keep on uh, if I, I shut it in. This follows a trend of just about every other angle of this that we've covered, that there's the initial issue, but for every <coughs> thread you pull, there are four other threads oh, that oh, yeah. all get pulled, and they lead in different directions. Could we see, because of the oil prices cratering and all this, could this really clean the way for other forms of energy to get a uh, foothold? Absolutely. Uh, well, in some ways. The fact of the matter is, right now, in terms of electricity, if you want to find the cheapest source in terms of dollars per kilowatt hour of any electric source in the world, land-based wind power, okay? Everybody understands that, okay? Everybody in the industry understands that. The problem is we don't have enough of an interconnected grid. So if you go out to the Midwest, Interstate 40, going through Oklahoma and then the panhandle of Texas, wow. Just west of Armarillo is an area where there are so many windmills. It's just mind-boggling. It really is. The wind is always blowing. It's either blowing from the north or from the south. And so there's, there's this vast region in the middle of the United States There's that can produce incredible amounts of energy, but we can't get it out of there because there's no infrastructure. There's no power grid to take it out of there. There has been efforts to put in these super grids. Basically, there's DC transmission lines out of that area and supply the West Coast and the East Coast out of this, right? It's been blocked in many ways by, well, it's been blocked, let's put it this way. The other area for wind power, which is just amazing, is the off the East Coast of the United States. Now, it's a little bit more expensive to, to put wind power out there, the wind turbines, but again, it's, it's a really, really cheap source of energy, cheaper than gas turbines, cheaper than coal-fired power plants. Everybody knows it. And gosh, off the East Coast of the United States, it's just right on top of where the demand is. You don't necessarily need as much of an infrastructure, but it is a little bit more expensive to put the windmills out. What's stopping it? People don't want to see windmills on their horizons. I mean, come on, guys. If you want to save this earth, guess what? You're, everybody's going to have to accept some issues. In this case, seeing windmills that are about 30 miles off your coast, you'll only see them on really clear days. Shouldn't be a big issue, but it, it has. I mean, in any case, I, I'm on my soapbox. I'm sorry, but... But the cheapest form of energy everybody recognizes is actually wind, followed by, believe it or not, solar, okay? Issue is it, it's, it's not dis, dispatchable. What that means is that you can't turn on a switch and say, I want wind power now. 
I, I want solar power now. It's not dispatchable like a coal-fired power plant is or a gas turbine uh, power plant. Those you can turn on and leave on, and you can schedule to say, oh, I'm going to be on during this time, and I know I'm going to be able to produce so much energy. Wind and solar, you can't do that, okay? And everybody recognizes that. Uh, but there's been enough work done to realize that another very cheap source of energy now is gas turbines. Gas, again, is natural gas is, is, is at near a record low price right now. And all the big power companies realize they can install these gas turbines that actually are relatively small in footprints. You may, you may have driven by them on I-95. You can, uh, as you're going by Boeing, there's actually a, a set of gas turbines. They're relatively small. You can sort of tell them because they have these short, squatty uh, stacks. There's no scrubbers on. You don't need scrubbers because natural gas is really clean burning as opposed to coal. Doesn't have any mercury going out the smokestack like coal is. So small footprint, quickly to install, and actually cheap producer and dispatchable. Very important. What you can do actually is turn on and off the gas turbines very quickly. So a lot of people in the energy industry recognize gas turbines serve this bridging fuel. That is, we bring in the, uh, the cheap forms of electricity, wind and solar, and as demand goes up and down and you're not able to meet that demand with wind or solar, you bring in something dispatchable that's relatively inexpensive, and that's gas turbines. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.